and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through His ordinary ways. My name is Winston Weber, and we are back in Ephesians 4 today. We are going to continue our study of Apest, Apostles, Prophets, Evangelists, Shepherds, and Teachers, and what that has to do with the church today. We're going to specifically look at Ephesians 4 today, right, Mike? That is correct, and we're going to see how it's built on the rest of Ephesians and the rest of the New Testament and really the rest of the teaching of Scripture. And this is entitled Gifts, Gifted Men, and God's Church. That's right. God's intent, or Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. So we kind of want to start with the rationale a bit, and we talked about this a bit in our introduction, but I think it's good to be able to repeat ourselves on this. But we really need to have this discussion because it seems that many almost take it to be fact the way that some people present this. And I mentioned Alan Hurst the last time, um, brother in Christ, but we would disagree with him on his application of these verses. So some would even push an agenda um, because of thinking that Ephesians 4 is talking about gifts that are for everyone in the church rather than gifted men that God gave to the church. So we're going to talk about apostles and prophets, how they were the foundation of the church. We'll look at it Ephesians 2.20 in just a few moments, we'll see how they were replaced by evangelists and teaching shepherds. So two roles of gifted men that God gives to the church. And we, and our staff has been working on this as a project, really. We don't think that Ephesians 4.11 is a list of gifts. Gifts are in verses 7 and 8, but Ephesians 4.11 is a list of gifted men that God gave to the church and that the current operational gifts are evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, or teaching shepherds. So we don't want to misuse Ephesians 4.11. We do believe that other uses of it are a misuse of the passage as God intended. And so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to trash fellow Christians. But we do want to serve the church by correcting what we think is an error. Now, a lot of people will say that some people have quote-unquote apostolic gifts or quote-unquote prophetic gifts. And they use that as a vernacular that's unattached to Ephesians 4.11. And we're not excited about that, but we're not going to have huge heartburn over it either. You know, as it gets presented that way, we're not going to correct people with our wording and stuff like that. But if it gets presented as anchored in Ephesians 4.11, I think then we would raise our hands and say, can we please do a counterpoint on this? And so we want to do an accurate interpretation of Scripture. That's what this is about, Winston, right? Uh, Handling the word accurately. That's right, because it would be the same way as if I were to say, oh, Mike, you have a very Davidic heart. Now, (laughs) if I mean it in the sense of when Psalms are written and, you know, oh, David's crying out to God, then, oh, that's a good thing. But if I mean, hey, you have a Davidic heart, just like when he built the temple and he was king (laughs) and he was was getting taxes from the people— I think we would all recognize that would probably be the wrong way to apply a Davidic heart. Right. right. It would just be odd, right? And so, <laughs> look, we're concerned with accurate interpretations of Scripture, humbly looking at Scripture and saying God meant something when he said this, and he didn't mean 15 things. And we want to base our understanding on what is known as a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic. We look for authorial intent. We look at what did God and the original authors intend in the original context. And so that's where we're going to go, and that's where we're going to land. And so, again, we want to be fair, but we also want to show uh, what we believe to be the correct interpretation of Ephesians 4.11. 
That's right. So let's actually dive into that right now. We're going to break this up a little bit more as the weeks go on. But for today, we're going to focus on what exactly Scripture says. We're going to look at Ephesians 4. We're going to, well, like you said, we're going to look at the whole of Scripture that informs mm-hmm. Ephesians 4 so that we can have an accurate interpretation of the Scripture. No Scripture exists in a vacuum. That's right. And if you can hear, listeners, if you can hear the turning of pages, I've got my, my I didn't Bible. I did those sound effects, I promise. There you go. The, I've got my Bible in front of me, and I'm, I'm turning to Ephesians 2. And we're going to start there. We're going to start at Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. So if you want to get your Bibles out or find that in your Bibles, listeners, as long as you're not driving right now, yeah, just if you're driving, that. just keep your eyes on the road and, and listen to us. Um, so here we go. It starts this way. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, all the believers, uh, the universal church of Christ, and members of the household of God. You've been adopted into the family of God, right? And then it says this, the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And I think the first thing we want to say here is that you don't build a foundation over and over and over again. The foundation gets built once. This is why we say there are no longer any apostles or prophets. Again, if you're one that says, but that person has an apostolic gift or that person has a prophetic voice, that's different than this. And as long as we can differentiate that, use those terms all you'd like as long as you don't confuse people, okay? So the foundation of the apostles and prophets, gifted men that God gave to the church in a certain time for a certain purpose. But the most important part is the next verse, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone of this church that has been built. It's the metaphor of a building. And it says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So you've got Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets as the foundation, and he is building his church. Jesus is building his church, and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And it says that in him you also, so all believers, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now what it doesn't say is that you are also the cornerstone. No, there's one cornerstone, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say we are the foundation and we keep building the foundation. So apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. And we need to keep that as a baseline foundation, if you will, in our understanding of what comes next. Now I want you to go next to Ephesians 3, verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to let you read that, Winston. Sure. So it says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There you have apostles and prophets again, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It has now been revealed. So we're talking about Scripture, Scripture being written, Scripture being manifested as the Holy Spirit moves holy men of God to write. So all Scripture must be, you were talking about this in the paper, uh, all scripture must be interpreted in context, right, Winston? That's right. And since this question of Ephesians 4.11 involves apostles and prophets, we have to look at the surrounding context. Is there anything that informs our understanding of what apostles and prophets are? Mm-hmm. And we have it right here. The apostles and prophets had scripture revealed to them, this mystery revealed to them. Right. Do we still need mystery and scripture revealed to us today? It's already been revealed. It's already <laughs> we been have revealed. It. 
Right. And so I like the point you brought out because so you go, okay, so where in the previous context and, and right there in the tight context of this letter to the Ephesians are the same terms used. So listeners, we're not doing brain surgery here. We are literally using our common sense. So where has apostles and prophets been used in Ephesians? Ephesians 2.20. Now it gets used in Ephesians 3. Okay. The mystery of Christ. It's already been revealed, but it wasn't made known to the sons of men in other generations. It's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Spirit of God moved holy men of God who wrote the Word of God down. That's right, and that can't be overstated, right? Mm -hmm. We know that Scripture has been revealed, and guess what, believers? We know that Scripture is sufficiently full for us. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have enough information to accomplish every good work. Therefore, we don't need scripture to continuously be revealed. That's right. The canon of scripture is closed. I mean, I'll take you to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses yeah. 19 to 21, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word. This is the word of God, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Who wrote that again? Peter! Did he see some cool things? He saw some cool things on the Mount of Transfiguration. What he talked about right before this was being on the Mount of Transfiguration. So yeah. this is huge. And he's saying he has something... More sure. More sure? More sure. And it oh, says this, okay. the word of God is sure until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Then you go back over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation. Now we're going to see the same word being used, prophets. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now I want to make this point. Prophets is here in 1 Peter. Prophets is here in Ephesians 3. Prophets is in Ephesians 2. Then we're going to see it in Ephesians 4. The meaning of prophets doesn't change when you get to Ephesians 4. It's not like, okay, yeah, in Ephesians 2, it was the, that, that group of apostles and prophets. And then in Ephesians 3, it was that group of apostles and prophets. But in Ephesians 4, it's you and me, Winston. It doesn't change like that. That would be weird for God to confuse us that way and not tell us. He would have said, by the way, time out, everyone. Starting in Ephesians 4.1, you know, you can do this too. You know, he didn't say that. Yeah. And really, this is one of the, the heart of the matter here. Here are two places we have pointed out in Ephesians where Paul helps us interpret what it means to be apostles and prophets. So then you do exegesis of Ephesians 4.11. You have to include those verses if you're going to be honest to the text. Absolutely. And that has been brought out, and we're going to bring this out. Now let's get to Ephesians 4. Well, actually, Mike... You, you said that we need to look in other places in Scripture yes. where there is apostles and prophets, right? Let's do that. Let's okay. do that. Now, yes. you're saying that the apostles and prophets in Ephesians 4 are gifted men, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought the gift of prophecy and gift of apostleship, those were gifts given to just people. They weren't the, the actual people given as gifts. Okay, that's a good question, and it takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Let's go there on, on spiritual gifts. But I want to no- you to notice something in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And the idea of speaking forth the word of God that's already been given. But it doesn't make you a prophet. Hmm. Okay? So I just want to bring that out that even if someone does what that says, prophesy, it doesn't mean that he's a prophet. Okay? So preaching the word doesn't make me a prophet. Does that make sense? But preaching the word does make you a preacher, right? A preacher, a proclaimer of the word of God that was given through the apostles and prophets. Interesting. So there's not a a one-to-one corollary. Not a one-to-one correlation. In fact, when we get back into Ephesians 4, we're gonna I'm gonna point this out. Verses seven and eight, and I'm gonna some of you listeners that are sitting at home, you're literally gonna go there now, but I just give you a little a little hors d'oeuvre here, a little tidbit. Ephesians four, seven and eight speaks of gifts. Ephesians 4.11 speaks of gifted men that God gave to the church. And, and we'll make that delineation and we'll bring that out. But let's stay in 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment. So he's talking about spiritual gifts. And I want you to go to the end of that chapter, verse 27, near the end. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's speaking to a church and he's telling the church, you're the body of Christ. And then the individuals are members in the body. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second, prophets. Now, there's a reason why it says apostles and prophets. Then third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, question mark? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says, I'm going to show you a better way, and a more excellent way, the way of love. Yeah. But then you go to this idea that God is appointed in the church, and it has all these things, first, second, third, then, then, and on and on. And he says in verse 29, everyone isn't an apostle. Everyone isn't a prophet. Like, everyone doesn't get to do that. Now, there are people that say every church, I've had people, I've heard people say this, and I've read teaching that says this, that every local church has all five gifts that are in Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, we say there's four gifts. I'm going to narrow it down personally to say there's four. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, shepherd. teachers, which are one person. There's a shepherd hyphen teacher. in, the, in yeah. between those. Shepherd, hyphen, teacher. So the idea here is that all are not apostles, all are not prophets, and, and you should desire to serve the Lord. De- desire gifts, it doesn't mean so that people can see you. It means that you can serve God. So... Here, you're still saying that in 1 Corinthians 12, apostles and prophets are gifted men, not merely gifts to be given. In that category, I, I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I'm pretty sure I'm with the historic Christian church in that, in that handling. Yeah, the thing we need to remember, this is not all brand new. Yeah. This is not all something that's just been injected in the 20th century uh, to, to the church and somehow no one else got this but us. Yeah, my teacher used to say that if you think you've come up with something brand new to the Christian religion, you're probably wrong. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. All right, Right. so before we wrap up for today, let's actually look at Ephesians 4. Let's understand what it means and then give us a little bit of an interpretation that we can go off of for the rest of our time in Ephesians 4. Great, I think I'll do this and I know we need to cut in a few minutes, so I'll start it off and then we'll save the rest for next week. Perfect. Okay, so let's go to Ephesians 4, and we're at Ephesians 4, and starting at verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk, and urge is a very strong word for Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So the big idea here is you need to please the Lord, okay? You need to do it with all humility and gentleness. And I love that. I want to stop and and point something out. When Jesus described himself, Winston, you know what he said about himself? He said, I am humble and gentle in heart. Mm. Okay, so come to me, you know, Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am humble and gentle in heart. And so I love this whenever we're called to humility and gentleness. Uh, That's be Christ-like. With patience, bearing with, uh, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So there's our calling. That's what we should want to do. Then you get to verse 4. There is one body, now we're talking about the church, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That sounds like the end of Romans 11, doesn't it? Yeah. From him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. So there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. One faith, you know, everyone who believes, believes the same gospel. One baptism, you, you publicly profess your faith in Christ and you, you, you walk in obedience to him. And then one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Everything's from him, our life is from him, salvation's from him. And then in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So he ascended on high. Now, it's kind of a shadow of uh, Psalm 68, 18. But Christ received the right to bestow the spiritual gifts. He is now going to give the gifts to men. Okay, He, he gives gifts. The grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Those are spiritual gifts. Now, think about Psalm 68. It's a victory song written by David to celebrate God's conquest of Jerusalem and this triumphant ascent of God uh, to Mount Zion. Uh, there's a tie-in to 2 Samuel as well but and 1 Chronicles. But the idea is that after the victory, uh, the, the victor gets the spoils of, of the war. Uh, the, the ruler brings home the spoils and the prisoners. This illustrates Christ returning uh, from battle on earth back into the glory of heaven with the trophies of grace uh, from the victory won at Calvary. Right? That's us, believers, uh, that, are, that he has uh, bought with his precious blood. So it says that he led captive uh, through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus conquered Satan and death. He returned what is rightfully God's to God. And so those who were once sinners and prisoners of Satan are now reunited with God. Uh, All the elect, all those he has chosen. He gives the spoils to his kingdom as he wishes. So after his ascension, all the spiritual gifts are given, right? And so you see this in the book of Acts and you see this, he promised the spirit to be sent uh, so that now we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, uh, when you come to know Christ, listeners, uh, you have all of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're indwelt by God. In regeneration, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is not a second blessing. It is not a subsequent move of God in your life that gives you more power and victory. You have all the power of God, all the victory of the cross from the moment of conversion onward. And we grow into that and we, we learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we don't need to seek something extra some, some day down the line. That's just a little side note because I know that a lot of that teaching gets thrown in as well. So anyway, um, I think we should stop there and pick it up next week because I think we've got enough. (laughs) We're We're going to leave you on the precipice. 
goodness. Okay, fine. Not my decision, listeners. Send your angry hate mail to ordinarychurch at gmail.com with the tag Mike. So that way I don't have to read those hate mails. But <laughs> anyway, we'll be here next week picking up where we left off on APEST and talking more about what it means to uh, understand the gifts that are given to men, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. So join us next Thursday as we remain faithful even in the ordinary. <laughs>